Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Piron. Well, uh, after this conversation with Amanda Pizzaferrato, I need a cookie, <laughs> a Corso cookie. You'll hear a lot about the Corso cookie, but it's because Amanda is doing a terrific job in developing an e-commerce dimension for the sale of the Corso decorated cookie, art cookie, cookies that come ready with a kit for uh, the family to get together and color in whatever cartoon or character or Corso character is on the cookie and they need it. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot to that and, and it's a terrific company and Amanda uh, has taken on a, a very challenging role to develop a, a much larger pres presence for this particular company and its cookie product uh, in social media and then direct people to the e-commerce website where you, you can purchase Corso cookies. It, I believe they come in a box or the kit and uh, they're sugar cookies, but what's important about them is that they tell a story and let your family in on that. I didn't know much about that until I saw uh, Amanda on LinkedIn, but she was my student and graduated in 2014 with her twin sister. And uh, I knew there was plenty of energy in that young lady, plenty of uh, curiosity, no, no tasks that I threw out to those to that particular course uh, daunted her or her sister for that matter. Like they might have collaborated, but it was I just saw that kind of vitality. And and as you hear this story that she shared with me about what's been happening over this last 10 years, you'll see that it wasn't always easy, but there's always been a big, big spark there. Uh, a love of ideas and trying them out and baking uh, and cooking is one way that for her whole life she's been able to try out her ideas and now she can do it with all kinds of uh, other tools that are available to tell the story. Speaking of which, I'm telling her a story before you could just be listening to it. So let, let's, let's listen in on my conversation with the very, very impressive Amanda Pizzoferrato. Oh, I know Amanda Pizzoferrato. I'm going to have trouble saying your last name just <laughs> like I did when you were my you and your sister were my students. So please say your name for me, and it'll be burned into my into my brain. Of course. It's Amanda Pizzo Ferrato. Okay. Pizzo Ferrato. Yeah, you, we can say Pizzo if you want to keep it. Simple. Well, you, you remember, uh, hopefully you remember some things about my class. Well, one of them was I'd bring in a guest every week. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite guests was an alumni named Ted Pizzo, 
who works for Locked In. Locked in. Uh, it's an insurance brokerage, and uh, he was always a great guest. So I wonder if he dropped the Ferrato, Ferrato off of his last name just so people could say it easier. So you <laughs> wouldn't? I don't know. You wouldn't believe it. Like there are a ton of Pizzoferratos in Connecticut. There are a ton of Pizzos. I don't know if maybe like along the way, one of them were just like, we're going to drop the Ferrato. Um, but there seems to be a lot more than you would think because, and some even have similar names. Yeah. Like first names too. So it's, it's more common than you would think. Well, imagine what some people have done with Fearon over the years. It's Fearon, Fearon. Fearson, Fearming. <laughs> it's not a couple typical name, but you and I know who each other is. Uh, before we talk about your current practice uh, in the marketing realm, uh, what do you remember off the top of your head about my classes with you? Yeah, I remember you being very funny. And <laughs> I think, that, no, but that's so important because you didn't like class was always so interesting and you always kept us really engaged. And I, it helped me learn the material really well. And my twin sister was in the class with me. Um, we only had like a few classes together and she wasn't able to make it on this talk tonight. Um, but I just remember all, us always really enjoying it. And I remember this one project we did and it was to invent something. Oh. And I don't remember the whole purpose of it all, but I remember we had to create something and our team came up with this like, almost like snowman looking thing that that um, was able to change the weather. Yeah. And we called him Caesar because he was able to change the seasons. And so I just remember getting a kick out of it. I remember uh, you really <laughs> That's great that you remember that. I, yeah. I, I used to bring uh, this big box of stuff. Mm -hmm. and it was all of the little, you know, uh, pipe cleaners and you name it. And I, I'd say, oh, I could throw that on my box of stuff. And then I'd bring it to the to that particular uh, class session. And I'd say, okay, this stuff, <laughs> come up with something that Lisa could change the world. And certainly a, a figure that you could poke in a little snowman belly and get a different season when you're sick of the one you're in would that would make some bucks. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I remember that. But yes, most importantly, I remember you always keeping class really interesting. Well, that's great. And one of the many reasons that I partnered with my former teacher, Peter Vale, when I was working on my PhD uh, is so did he. And this would be in the late 60s, long before you were born. But uh, I had been used to fairly structured, lecture-oriented classes as a student. And, you know, so I, I went up to UConn. One of the very first courses I took was with him. And he basically said, I don't lecture. I, I will speak with you. We'll have a conversation. Uh, you will find out what I know, but I'm as interested in knowing what you know, so... Here, you know, you've done the reading and I'll give you a point or two, but let's let's just do meaningful stuff together. And he he, also, he did create some exercises over time, too. But I've kept that as uh, my way of being a teacher. And all, all through my all through the 50 some years uh, since uh, he was my teacher, and when he asked me to. Um, help him finish a book because his health had gone 
um, to a, a really ragged point where he was actually in hospice. Uh, he he said, this book is about practice, you know. And I said, why Why would you ask me? I, my last book I published in 2006, you know, I'm, I'm not in the game anymore. He said, well, Dave, I am asking you to do it because you get it. You understand that all the theory in the world is just words on pages until someone will put it into practice. Mm -hmm. And we need to know a lot more about what people are like when they are doing the thing that they love to do the most, because that's where they're most likely to take risks, to learn stuff, to, to, um, to grow. So what do you love doing the most, Amanda? I love learning. I mean, if you want to ask me, I guess, in terms of like implementing, um, being creative, coming up with new ideas. I, I feel like I have a different business idea every day. I'm coming up with new things. Um, and so I think, which we'll get into with my current role, I'm able to do that a lot, like be really creative and come up with um, new ideas, especially for social media. And I just love it because it's it it allows me to kind of uh, like do something different every day and think of new ideas and bring some like fun and excitement into other people's lives with creativity and like new inventions. We're back to the snowman again, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, I when I I'll unpack that. That's jargon, you know, in, in our field. I'll unpack that a little bit. What I hear you saying is that you want to have an experience for people that you have a part in creating. And that the the, the fun of that, as well as the, the business outcome of that, is that they are uplifted that they go, wow, I never, who, who could have thought of that? Or look at this, look at this particular message that's coming out on social media. Uh, whoever, who could have thought of that? And it lifts people's spirits. Mm -hmm. So you're in a spirit lifting practice. Yeah. And I love it. I love making people happy. I love helping people solve their problems, love helping, you know, yeah, just bring some fun and excitement to people's lives. And that's what I do every day. Now, for whom are you uh, doing that? I mean, and lots of people, but uh, you're employed to do that as well. So talk a bit about uh, your company and a little bit of the history of that. Yeah, so I work for a company called Corso's Cookies in Syracuse, New York. And we manufacture sugar cookies um, and they're actually cookie coloring kits. So all of the cookies have character art on them that children or families can color with edible food coloring markers. And so they're really great for parties. They're great for school events. They're great for that busy mom who doesn't have a lot of time to put together like a arts and crafts project for a party or just needs something to kind of do with her kids that doesn't take a lot of time and prep. Um, and so what I do for them is um, marketing. And so yeah. I'm involved in honestly a, a lot of different elements to it, but that's what I love the most because I'm doing something different every day and I'm not just doing one thing all day. Um, well, yeah, I want to interrupt you because um, I'm thinking the product that you represent and you're getting people to want to buy is everywhere. I mean, you uh, 
not that I would want to go to a bakery because I'm trying to stay away from that, but I, uh, uh, cookies and cookies and cookies, including the people, what people can make. So it really is important for Corso, Corso? Corso's cookies, yep. Yeah, it really is important for them to make that cookie stand out. And you've already given us a clue as to uh, how it can be adapted, you know, by the kits and so forth. But it's a it's a pretty competitive market, isn't it? It is. The, the company has been around for 20 years. They've evolved through all the drastic changes in the world that's happened. They started out as a company making cookie bouquets. So it was decorated sugar cookies that were formed into the shape of a bouquet that consumers could purchase as gifts to send someone for their birthday or a thank you or get well. And it just became so popular over time that um, they ended up buying a factory and um, getting into huge grocery stores across the nation. And then um, once COVID kind of hit, they found this like need again to pivot. And so that was where the idea of doing the cookie coloring kits came into mind. But they took it in like they elevated it even further because they knew there's a lot of parents out there who don't have the time to bake all the cookies, dye all the frosting, decorate all the cookies, let alone like want to like clean all this up after. And so yeah, their yeah. solution to this was to um, create a cookie that already has the printed, almost like a coloring book, right? Printed character art on the cookie. And then it comes with food coloring markers for kids to just color right on the cookie. So you're not baking, you're not mixing all the frosting, you're not going through the mess of decorating everything, but you're still getting that enjoyable experience of creating your own like cookie art. I think that's very creative. Yeah. Uh, who among your colleagues there was the spearhead for that idea? Do you know? Or were you uh, around at that time? Or so <laughs> it was started twenty years ago. I wasn't with the company then. I was no. I mean the the later one, the cookie art. Um. Well, the CEO Peter Hess started all of that, and mm -hmm. so he he's one of the co-founders of the company. So when you pivoted, and during the pandemic, and came up with the idea of the of the uh, sort of coloring book kind of cover uh, stop, top of the cookies. That's a relatively recent idea, isn't it? That changed somewhat the the product in in the, in the experience of the people who would buy it. Yeah, it changed a lot because it changed kind of the whole target market and the brand of the mm -hmm. company as well. And so the brand's called Color a Treat. That's the name of the product. Um, and so our whole branding and like marketing strategy has changed as well, because now we're really targeting um, busy parents, specifically moms with children, younger children aged like four to 10. And so it was a huge brand pivot, but it just took off. And so we are now we're in Costco, we're in Wegmans in upstate New York, we're in a ton of grocery stores across the nation and working um I'm getting in a lot more. So it just, yeah, it just blew up. And so it was a good decision for the company to move in that direction. I, I would say so. That's a, that's a story to tell. And you, you're the storyteller, if you will, for, for the company. And uh, I'm wondering though, that um, 
do you have an online sale aspect to the cookies or is that a little too cumbersome to bake and ship? So when the company, when they first started doing the cookie bouquets and they kept growing, they um, did sell them on the website and that was a huge portion of the business. And then um, once like they pivoted to these cookie coloring kits, they focused mainly on wholesale, getting into retailers. I was brought back onto the team um, in January of this year, specifically to develop the direct consumer um, line. So getting the website up and running and selling these cookie coloring kits directly to consumers' homes. So we do have a presence. It's not our, um, I would say, like majority of our sales and our main business. We're, our main business is retail. We produce right now well over 60,000 cookies a day. And so those retailers, <laughs> yeah, it's it's busy, really keeping us busy. So um, the the direct-to-consumer e-commerce side of things, um, we're getting going again, but it's picking up. Yeah, but you're you're, you're learning. I mean, it's a <laughs> you're creating a, another outlet for the company, but it, it's got to be a lot of new stuff for you to learn. As you mentioned, you like to learn something new every day. Sounds yeah. like you are. I am. And I think that's my favorite part. Like, I just love learning whenever I have the opportunity and the Part of my, about my job that I love most is I'm so involved in many aspects of the company from social media marketing to email marketing to the website to um, like going to the trade shows to helping choose what products we're going to do to dealing with customer service. And so I just have my hands wet in all these different areas. But with my background and my degree in entrepreneurship and business management and marketing, um, I, that's what I, I'm glad that I have my hands in so many different things because it keeps it so interesting every day. That's important to you. Mm -hmm. I can tell. Yeah. It's not always important to everyone. It, it's more, uh, you found some, again, jargon, but you found alignment between who Amanda is when you're really happy about being Amanda and what you can do. And wow, you can also get paid for it. So that's, that's a sweet deal. <laughs> sweet yeah. cookie. Sweet. You see, how yes. mind, yeah. see where my mind is going. <laughs> uh, now, have you been working virtually mainly uh, over the last few oh. years? Well, so I used to, no, I just started back up with Corso's Cookies in January. I used to work for them about five years ago, uh, similar role, but I was sales and marketing assistant. And then I was brought back in January to be the marketing director and everything is fully in the factory. So you're living in Syracuse? I did. I decided to move to upstate New York. Yep. That's a big move away from you yeah. don't have a you don't have a sea coast. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the biggest thing I miss, but I go back <laughs> home every single month, see my family. I make sure to make a trip to the beach because oh, yeah. I am an ocean girl. Um, but there's a lot of beautiful lakes here. So I'm still that's getting fixed in a little bit. Yeah, Syracuse is a special place for my family. My uh my great grandmother uh father was one of the bishops. Methodist bishops who founded Syracuse as a theological union. And she uh, became one of the first female students. She insisted it be co-ed. She had to end with him. <laughs> and so she was one of the first co-ed students. And then that's where she met 
my grandfather, great grandfather, who was there to become a teacher. So it, it was, and my dad went there, and a lot of his family. I got to a point where, since we might have gotten free tuition because we were in the, you know, the lineage of the school. I remember both of my kids. I said, "Okay, free deal at Syracuse. Would you like to go there?" And my daughter said, "But they can't. I can't ski there." And I said, "I'm pretty sure you can." And my son said, "I kind of like small college." So I couldn't get them to go there. So anyway, <laughs> I don't. I didn't have any more kids to convince. But it, it is a very special school and uh, and town because it's going through uh, the kinds of struggles that a lot of the the cities that have, you know have been hit by the revol in different revolutions. Uh, as your experience there, now that you've moved there, is are you seeing feeling that, that there's vibes in the city that it's picking up? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know, it, it, there's life in the city. Yeah. And I, so I was curious what to expect when I moved back after COVID. I, I didn't know what to expect. I will say that I think they're trying to do a good job of elevating it again and getting businesses back open down there. I will say that I I still think it's a little slow in the city, um, but this they do a really good job in the city of always hosting different events and like bringing all the communities um, and the, like the outer towns together. And so they're doing a good job to revamp it, but I think it is still taking a little bit of time after COVID for things to kind of like gain momentum again in the, in the downtown area. Well, your company is growing now that many cookies uh, and all the work that goes into getting them into the various host uh, locations. Uh, so that that's an example of a, well, I guess you'd call it a clean industry. <laughs> you know, the, whatever it comes out of the chimney probably smells like cookies it's as opposed to some of the, the <laughs> other kind of stinkier in, industries that, yeah. you know, used to be up there in central New York. But, uh, now back to you, back to you. Uh, one thing we know, and I think I even taught this in the class that you attended, is that an idea needs to breathe. You can't just have it and even say it or sketch it. It has to catch on with other people, mm -hmm. unless you're a painter and you can, you're in full control of the canvas. But your ideas on getting... Uh, people's uh, eyes on the screen and, and get them into the website and all that has to be collaborative. So how do you find yourself working with others to make sure that ideas don't choke to death? <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of them will, they may not even be worth it, but most of them probably are knowing you. How, how, what kind of climate are you working in, in that regard? Do you mean in terms of at the company or how we at the company? We have a really good, we have a small team. It's me and the product manager, graphic designer. Um, and then we have another um, female on our team who created all the art. But um, how do I explain this simply? So the CEO wrote a, a kid's book. It's called The Corso's Kids. It's based on his three daughters and um, their mom and all like the, the fun memories they made together while baking. And they discover this magic spoon that transports them um, to Storytown where they meet all these characters. They go on all these adventures. They learn um, life lessons and how to help others and how to like be more confident in themselves. And so the characters on our cookies are actually based around that book. 
we really try to like tie in a whole story together um, and build the brand around that. And so as a team, it's really important for us to make sure we're all on the same page with our brand messaging. Like what's our brand tone? What are our brand colors? Like um, how do we want others to feel when they see our brand and use our product? And so we just make sure we're in the process of redefining our whole brand and coming up with a whole new guide to make sure whenever we um, create any type of marketing material or create any new products that it aligns with our brand and our mission so that when the end consumer sees it, they go, Oh, that's courses cookies. Like, Oh, we know who they are. We know their story. And so just making sure like we're all meeting and communicating um, promptly and making sure we're all on the same page and that like our branding is consistent. So you you have uh, some boundaries, of course, in terms of what you can, uh, the look and feel and the messages that you're going to be putting or are putting on social media mm-hmm. and, and in a, on, your, on your new website. But as, as uh, ideas occur to you on um, a little tweak here or maybe something altogether different that could be downstream, to look at, uh, do you have the freedom you need to go to in your team or to the to the CEO and say, "This is what I I'm thinking. This is what I'd like to do." Yeah. So our CEO is really great about listening to all of our ideas. So we'll meet together and and share whatever we're all thinking, and he'll either say, "Love that," like run with it, um, or we'll talk about it and improve on it together. He has the final say, of course, on everything. Of course. His baby, you know, and I get that. And so just, but we have that like freedom and openness um, to be able to like say, hey, I have this really good idea. Like, what do you think of it? And then say we implement it, like he'll say it's an email and I want to send out like a new product and promote it in a certain way. Like at the end of the day, he'll look at the email and the copy and how it was designed and have the final say on it. Um, but he'll at least let us like implement the idea and show it to him. So he originated this. He was the original storyteller. They created yeah, the, the, the magic spoon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's kind of my person. I love that. Yeah. I tell, I'd make up stories for my kids when they're the same, probably as his, as his daughters were in. And, uh, now they're well into their fifties and, uh, one of the running jokes in our family is, uh, uh, we had about four characters that that we developed in in our in our spontaneous stories, and then they became to re, reoccur. And uh, my daughter would say, "Oh, Dad, this is you're doing that elf thing again, you know." <laughs> but I can feel it. What? How good that feels? Someone who's now well into well, fifty years later for her that she can still remember mm-hmm. the the fact that we created a story together, mm-hmm. and those characters are ours. But damn it, I f- didn't have the imagination to turn it into a bakery product. <laughs> I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so important, and that's part of like our brand is we want to help families build those memories with their children right absolutely and that's the whole point of it like we want this product to be something that families can do together and they can read the story and then they can color the cookies and they can talk about 
you know, their art together and just create memories. And so that's like our biggest mission as a company is to bring families closer together. And we we do watch um, the trends and the times as we did when we were together in our business school, you know, that we have to look at the whole social picture of the, wor- the world in which any of our customers are are residing and trying to to cope with. And so over the years, uh, I my guess is a trend is that it's busy, families are busier than ever. Mm-hmm. Even if they're even if they have uh, the opportunity to work at home, it's not like they just sitting around. They've got to be on Zoom or at their computers, and so that the, the pulling apart uh, of families is very hard on. And, and nowadays, you know, both parents work. Uh, and, and it was a time when this sounds like a cliche, but it's true in my experience. Mothers stayed home when when I was a kid. My mother didn't bake. <laughs> she would have loved Corso, but she was at home. And so there was more likelihood that we could get that feeling of bonding. So the very act, event of having Corso arrive or bring it in from Costco and there it is in the kitchen. It it's it's now their Corso cookies, and they can even rename them. Those are our cookies now. Mm-hmm. Take them. Create their own stories. Make our own stories. And do you ever have built in some kind of a feedback loop? So as people um, are using them, and their ideas bubble up. Or they want to just give you a testimony. Do you have a, a way of getting that back in from a marketing standpoint so you can hear how it's working out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the direct to consumer, the e commerce side of things, we'll send out like an email to them um, about like five days after they've ordered and gotten their product for them to be able to provide feedback to us. But a lot of customers, like because social media is so big in the world today, we'll go right to social media. Um, They'll send us photos. They'll send us videos. It's the best when you see like children, they will make their own videos of like opening the cookie kit and like showing the whole process of them coloring it. And then they'll present it and like share their story. And so it's just really fun to see how everyone, you know, has so much fun enjoying the product and interacting with it and then sharing the experience with us. Must make you feel good. Yeah, it makes it, it's very rewarding. Yeah. And the other team members, is everyone sharing the fun of seeing some of the feedback? And I will, uh, I will always at the weekly Friday meetings be like, do you guys want to see what a customer showed us on social media this week? And so I'll like present it to them. So I make sure to keep everyone in the loop to know that like all the work we're doing is so worth it. Uh, let me touch on uh, a comment you made that they brought you back. Now, mm-hmm. you left five years before. What did you do? Just basically go out and sit on a park bench and, and wait for five years until they appreciated you? Yeah, you know I can't. <laughs> what happened with the missing five years? <laughs> I did kind of be forced to sit still, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But um, when I was first working there, I was there for about a year and a half, and 
I so I went to uh, college for I said business management marketing. I always knew I wanted to have my own business and be an entrepreneur. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you know, I grew up loving food. I taught myself how to bake, and I was selling like cakes and cupcakes in college for a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And so I always thought I wanted to have a bakery or a cafe, and. Um, It just like kind of happened out of the blue. My twin had like connected with someone that she knew was trying to sell their burger shop. And it was just this little kind of like hole in the wall place, nothing too big. Um, The town over from my hometown. And one day she texted me and she's like, so would you have any interest in like moving back home and running a cafe and opening it with me? And I was like, absolutely. Then it just like sailed. I don't know. It was, it just like everything fell in place. It was just this small little place. And that's, it was perfect because we didn't want something like too big in the beginning and get too overwhelmed with it being like our first business venture. Right. Right. Um, So I sadly had to say goodbye to Corso's Cookies and he understood because he knew I wasn't like, I've always been an entrepreneur. Um, And uh, I moved back home to Connecticut and that was in June of 2018. And then we opened in December of 2018. So I spent like the next six months just literally developing everything from scratch to get it open. Scraping down walls and painting them and all the rest. My whole family was involved in it, which was awesome. My parents are amazing. And my dad helped us like um, redecorate everything. And it was a really fun experience. Now, of course, I'm going to (laughs) ask, is it still open now that you're not there? Yeah. Okay. I didn't get into that, huh? Um, so, what, so what ended up? So the cafe was called the Sleepy Rooster, and it's not open anymore. But I'll go into in explaining that. Um, so it was open for about two years, and we were more like a quick service cafe. So the town, unfortunately, was kind of difficult with us, and they wouldn't let us have seating because we didn't have like access to the bathroom without having to go past the kitchen. And we would yeah. have had to the wall, which I get it. Like that yeah. obviously makes sense. And it honestly worked out in our favor. I was glad that it ended up being that way um, because we, we started about like a year or so before COVID hit and we were doing really well. Like our brand, we, our menu was so different and so trendy. Like I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to make it something that nobody's ever seen before. And so we did waffle sandwiches and the whole concept behind it was that, um, kind of like a Chipotle where you could take and you could change your sandwich into a burrito or a bowl. And then, and so I let people choose like which kind of like, sandwich or like which kind of name they wanted to do. So say it was a sleepy rooster, it would be bacon, egg, um, cheese, fried chicken, and our sleepy rooster sauce. And so we had a signature (laughs) sauce that we put on everything. And they could either do it as a waffle sandwich, they could do it on a roll, they could do it in a burrito, they could do it as a tater tot bowl. And so we kind of just let people customize things and it really took off. And so, yeah. And the it worked out in our favor being quick service because we were able to get people in and out the door quickly without having people sitting down and yeah. I didn't hire servers and go down, wash all these like dishes. It worked out really well. And so during COVID, 
when everything started to kind of shut down and restaurants weren't allowed to have people sit anymore, our business picked up even more because (laughs) we were able to do everything to go and we were able to have people pick up and leave. And it ended up just growing our business like even more. (laughs) And I know that makes no sense to why we're closed. But then there's a word, but that comes to mind. No, but this is a great story. Yeah. And so makes me hungry too. (laughs) I know. If I showed, if I were to show you the food, you would be more hungry. Um, I know. So long story short, throughout this entire process, Unfortunately, my health was just kind of deteriorating. And so they must have been frantically busy. Well, not even just that, like the restaurant industry is so difficult, right? You're on your feet all the time. You're working, you're working all the weekends, you're working every holiday, like you're doing all the work outside of the business hours. And so I was just burnt out and I definitely tend to be like a perfectionist and a workaholic and I also had been diagnosed with Lyme disease right before we opened. The Connecticut disease. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was having symptoms, honestly, for like the past year and a half before that. And nobody could figure out what it was. And so finally, someone tested me for Lyme. And I unfortunately was diagnosed with chronic Lyme. And so I did antibiotics. Nothing was helping me. And so to be honest, like I'm still battling with it today, but I found like an amazing doctor who's helped me. And so between that and like the cafe, my, my health was just getting worse and worse and our lease was up and it was still COVID and everything. And I had to make, I had to make the decision, like, what are we going to do here? Like, am I going to take time to get my health together or are we going to keep this going? And our landlord had wanted us to sign like a five-year lease. And like, while that was a great starting location, I really wanted to move this closer to a college campus Mm. and hit kind of like that teenager demographic or be kind of closer to like glass. You'll know in Connecticut, Glastonbury, like a different area. That's a good market. Yeah. Glastonbury. Yeah. With like higher traffic. And I just knew that I needed to take care of my health first. Um, oh, good. Yeah. And, and so you did because you I look did. great. Yeah. Thank uh, you. And, and you have a lot of vitality, but that is a tough decision, but you made it absolutely the correct way. And I'm sure you folks would, would agree that they, no one <laughs> should give the, their entire health to a, to a business, even though it sounded pretty damn wonderful. Mm-hmm. But you still had baking in your blood, right? <laughs> Along with, with the waffles, line. I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I know I'm watching my clock. I, we could do this for three hours, but you made me so hungry. I, I can't go on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. But uh, so you're at that point. You had, uh, they knew who you were at, Cos- at Coso. Uh, did you reach back or did they out of the blue reached to you and say, Hey, we're growing. Would you like to come back? Yes. Sorry. I got completely derailed. Um, so they ended up reaching back out to me, but I always had like a really close relationship with Pete. Like we stayed in touch throughout the five years and kind of checked in on how things were going. Um, and then they had an opening where they were growing. And again, they had pivoted the brand and wanted to start that, uh, e-commerce side of the business back up. And um, he reached back out and was like, hey, would you be interested in doing this? Like, I'd love to have you back on the team. Like, I'll teach you, like, 
you know, everything that I know and kind of like take you under my wing. And so I, uh, yeah, I, I was at the point where my health was starting to get better and uh, made that decision to, to come back. Yeah. Wow. That's a great compliment to you and, and the impression you make Amanda on, uh, on creative people. It sounds like Pete is extremely creative, but also uh, a smart business person who knows that direct direct sales is part of the picture people expect it these days. And mm-hmm. so he needed someone who understood down deep what the story of the business was, literally the magic spoon, but also could navigate this in a hugely complex arena called direct sales and, and social media. I, I've been basically learning every day uh, just to get my so-called brand out there for the podcast and for the book. And it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's heady. I love seeing someone uh, I've never, whose name I've never seen, you know, log in a comment or at least do a reaction. It's, it's kind of fun, but it's also um, where there's literally millions and millions of uh, content pieces out there and a lot of eyes to look at them but busy people who basically skim real fast. So how do you draw them to your, your site now and, and get them to pause long enough to get the, the sense of what you guys do? Yeah. I mean, so with social media, we've been working with influencers. So we, oh. the whole concept behind it is that we theme different crafts or like, different activities for kids to do around our characters. So yes, our product is a craft, right? But we also want to help parents um, come up with other ideas that are really easy for them to do with their kids. And so we'll theme them around the characters. So say I have like a monster cookie, I'll work with an influencer and then they'll create a really simple craft idea around the monster. So one thing that an influencer did recently was created a monster bookmark and it was this super cute, really easy thing for kids to do um, themed around the monster cookie that then they could use with their books. And so yes, people have very quick attention spans now. And so the key is to really draw them in and get their attention initially and make the video short and straight to the point and helping like solve their problem or keep them entertained in a really quick manner. Yeah, that's what I've learned too. My next phase, as you may see soon, is what I call wait a minute uh, about practice. And I'm literally going to make it a minute because <laughs> that's what the person who's been helping and advising me saying, Dave, if you go five minutes, you're only going to get a minute out of their attention anyway. And in that first 30 seconds of that minute, you better give them a story about, yeah. about wait a minute, have you thought about this about your practice or that about your practice? And I love the challenge, but it's going to be very hard for me. (laughs) I may have to watch your website to get some tips. (laughs) It is challenging. There's social media is a beast of its own. And I don't think people understand how much time and energy and just like strategy goes behind it. So, and that's just like one of the things we use to get people to our website. Um, And so it's just like a small portion of, of the puzzle, a small piece of the puzzle. In the last couple of minutes, you you have had a rocket ride in your life, both with your health, but also build, building the, what is a sleepy rooster? 
Yeah. The sleepy rooster. I love that. It, <laughs> it, it's a testimony to your to your uh, imagination. Uh, how are you moving your life now personally? Are you settling in? Uh, do you have a dog, <laughs> a boyfriend, <laughs> a girlfriend? Uh, <laughs> how's that going? Yeah, we're still figuring out the romantic life situation. Um, no men at the moment, but that's okay. I don't have a dog either. Honestly, like I wanted to move up to Syracuse and kind of like do this for myself and get really settled and just focus on my career right now. Um, and so I've just been trying to take this opportunity to like really, and I honestly love my alone time. I probably love it too much. That might be part of the <laughs> But just take this opportunity to really cherish like the alone time that I have right now and focus on myself and my career and my well-being because I know that I'm not going to have that forever. Right. And so I still, you know, I'm always going to have that entrepreneur bug in me a little bit. Like we're tossing around the idea of selling the sauce from our cafe. And so on the side, just kind of like figuring out all the logistics to that as well. Oh, I know you'll always have another iron in the fire, but you, you've got you've got a really great situation. I sensed it when I, I saw your Facebook post. I, I, I just had that feeling, and now it's confirmed that what I saw with you and your sister sitting up in Team Three, I think, during those classes, uh, was an extraordinary amount of poise. Uh, the love of being a little bit out of balance, which is how you are creative. You know, I'll, I'll lean into it. I'll try something. And uh, you just, uh, you, you were Connecticut to me. The best of Connecticut, because you, you made good use of your home and all the rest and you were strong. But there was, when you were in the room, you and your sister was, uh, yeah, they're, they're, those, those two are what I'm working for along with everyone else. So I can't thank you enough for giving me this update on Amanda Pizzoferrato. You got it. And I did it. You did it. That was a huge compliment. And I can say the same to you again. Like we remember you very vividly. I remember your classes. And so you've made a huge impact on our lives. We wouldn't have been able to do the cafe without everything we learned. Right. And so Just remember that you make a huge difference in all of your students' lives too. And you're a huge part of all the businesses and everyone's success. Oh, well, thanks so much. And uh, I'm going to go out and buy some cookies at Costco. (laughs) And they're they're going to be your cookies. And even though we have no grandchildren, my wife and I will decorate them in your honor. I would would love that. (laughs) Take care. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and and one more thing. How could I forget? The book, On Practice as a Way of Being, is available now 
in digital form, something that would be new, like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice, and you'll see what I mean. Thank you.